to Black Card Rehab, the show where we go from zero to black, one episode at a time. I am joined by my white friend, Paige. Hi, Paige. Hello. <laughs> On a scale of zero to black, how are you feeling today? Uh, this is going to be a weird one, uh, okay. but I quilt as a hobby because I'm secretly 87 <laughs> years old. And like the and quilting is predominantly old white ladies that's it's just that's the lay of the land and the biggest quilt supply provider came out in support of black lives matter this week whoa so i'm I'm, I'm, yes i'm feeling them right now because i was their name uh missouri star quilt company so somebody wrote them an open letter like are you gonna say shit about this and they were like yeah we are black lives matter also we're starting scholarships here the like amounts and stuff (laughs) and the comments on that post it's like you had all the quilters under the age of 50 being like yes and then like everyone else being like how dare you and it was wait they still let them have the wild i mean well they've shut off comments to like all subsequent posts because it just so happened that like so they're kind of interesting in that they're like a family that lived in a town that was dying and they started a quilt shop and it became a huge thing and they basically saved their town and so it's this like inspiring story uh but then the owner's birthday was the next day and they had to shut off comments because people were just like how dare you (laughs) just like on her birthday post and i (laughs) like as as hilarious as it has been i i feel terrible for them because you yeah. know that's you shouldn't have to deal with that level of hate especially when you're doing good things uh but they basically have just kept doubling down of like god says love everyone so we love everyone fuck y'all they need our help <laughs> fuck y'all amazing so great that so that is on my scale of of zero to african-american that is how i am i'm feeling today and crystal on a scale from zero to african-american how are you feeling today i would guess i i'll i'll stay in the theme of corporations and i'm i'll say i'm feeling ben and jerry's yes um, <laughs> man ben and jerry's whoo i mean talk about get getting it i i love the the memes that came out after they did their statement oh my god the one yeah (laughs) (laughs) the generic versus ben and jerry's is like oh black lives matter versus ben and jerry's is like (laughs) black lives matter um fuck you fuck white supremacy (laughs) (laughs) well what was hilarious is i saw the meme and i was like that sounds like ben and jerry's they've been doing that for years but then i went and read their actual statement i was like not it's far not off. Very different. <laughs> not far <laughs> off. So great. That's that's one that I'm like. I know your PR person didn't write this. I know that you yeah. were just like fuck twelve and like yeah. that was you just posted it. It was great. It's so great. It's so awesome. Um, well, let's see. The thing that we're going to talk about today, which you don't know about, it's a surprise. I don't. You told me it was a surprise, and I'm excited. <laughs> let's do it. Yes. So this is uh, an homage slash homework that I've had on my plates um, since the beginning of this podcast. Um, I finally listened to To Pimp a Butterfly. <gasps> really? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Oh man! See, I wish I haven't listened to it this week, and now I'm going to feel unprepared. But like, I am anxious to hear your thoughts. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, feel free to pull up the lyrics if you want to. But I um, will probably. Yeah. So, I guess my first thing was uh, so just for the listeners, if you're just joining us, if you haven't listened to the episode um, when he was K Dot with Keenan Baker. Um, I recommend going back and listening to that one. Um, cause that's the, that's an episode with Keenan and he, he, he talks a lot about like Kendrick Lamar's roots, um, and kind of gives kind of his whole backstory and, you know, where 
leading up to where we're at now. And I had never listened to a full Kendrick Lamar album at that time and up until yesterday. This is the blackest one. And that's saying it's, something. Yes. <laughs> yes. It is the blackest one. And now I also understand when uh, you had said that you had heard it and Keenan was like, uh, what did you think of that <laughs> as a white person? <laughs> yeah, I yeah. was like, because afterwards I was like, what did she think of this? Because oh, I... <laughs> I felt bad, <laughs> but but also I don't think that's a bad thing, and I think that's a place that people need to get to in understanding their privilege, where you can hear criticism and not just be like, "How dare you!" and be like, "Have I contributed to this?" Because mm-hmm. this is a time for me to look inside and you know try to make sure that. I'm doing the best I can do and and hear these things and accept them and not fight them. Um, yeah, it's I mean, it's as a white person, it's a rough listen for sure. <laughs> but that's OK. Art's not mm-hmm. supposed to be easy. You know, mm-hmm. Roots is a tough watch for a white person. <laughs> um, Django Unchained, slightly less so because you really, really root for them to kill Whitey. And like. I I don't know. I feel like more white people should listen to things like this. Like be don't be afraid to experience art that may paint you in a bad light because it is a time for introspection. But yeah, that's it. It's it's a rough listen the first time around especially. Especially if you haven't I- seen Roots, then it's not going to make sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, cuz I was listening and there's so there's a lot of things that came up for me while listening. Mm-hmm. I would say, I mean, just off the top, I mean, related to the question of how you felt, I was like, I, not having grown up in the hood, a hood, but like definitely being a black person and being a black artist going through several, several iterations of identity. And I was like, I feel all of this in my bones. Yeah. yeah. And like I when I'm list it it really reminded me of how I felt watching Get Out where I was like yeah finally people is, see. Yes, and I don't even know like but it also felt like it was it was black art to for and about black people. Like I felt spoken to. Um, so I guess that was my first feeling. And I was like, there's some things that you just won't get. And I don't mean understand, but I mean, like, feel yeah. unless you are black. Mm-hmm. When listening to this album, I, I can see some of the meaning being able to be like interpreted and kind of deduced. But the feeling, like the deep core feeling, I'm like, there's there's nothing else besides I can't I can't pinpoint anything in my life, in my identity besides being black that makes me able to feel this in my core right now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what white people struggle with with this album is the understanding that it's not for us. And an acceptance of the idea that not all art is for everybody. And sometimes that's what makes it such good art. And I think that's something that is tough for white people because art is almost always for us. And that's the problem. Like, that's the thing that needs to change. (laughs) That's why we need more diversity in filmmaking, in music, in writing, everything. Because art has been for us for a long ass time. Mm-hmm. And the our inability to accept when it's not for us is wild, especially like I, I feel like personally, both listening to this album and watching, you know, even films like Get Out, which, yes, is for everybody, but is really not for white people. <laughs> um, I think for me, that helped me experience and enjoy art that was not specifically made for me and appreciate even when it's not for me like find the merits of it outside of it being directed to me as an audience 
Yeah, I um, I mean, woo. Yeah, what a week! <laughs> what a week to listen to this, Crystal. <laughs> I mean, but that's that's kind of that's a lot. Of it's why. the perfect time. It is the perfect you know, time. I'm like, let's you know, let's do it. Um, yeah. And it also, so this is the other thing that came up for me is it really started to really cause me to reflect on all of the reasons why I hadn't listened to it, which is beyond like, you know, I, I wish I was a more curious person than I am, mm-hmm. but there's more, there's a deeper thing. There's deeper things. Cause I, as I'm listening, as I was listening to it, all these things were coming back to me, like feelings I had had or the choices that I'd made and the reason why. And so one of them being, I have this thing and I know a lot of black people have it, but I have this thing when something becomes so popular that like either the first time you heard it or the first time you like hear about it or the, the first time you hear a lot of people talking about it and how much they love it is white people, <laughs> but it's a black thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I feel immediately that. like, nah dude like nah fam it's not for me (laughs) that's that's how I knew to be suspicious of Candace Owens is when I was only hearing about it from white people and I was like this doesn't seem right and then I read her tweets and I was like this is not right at all Uh (laughs) so I think I mean and that just you know probably just had to do with a a locational thing Mm -hmm. like where I was at like um living and my communities at the time, like the only people I heard talking about it the most were white people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that, I think that just speaks to like his fame at that time. Like yeah. he was just bigger than, yeah, he was just bigger than black music at the time. Yeah. And so there's that. And then I was remembering, I think it must've been, I was it a Grammys performance? The one where yeah. he had like, I mean, I remember he basically that. did roots on stage. It was yes. amazing, and I remember crying. Yeah, and and I I was trying to remember like what from that point, from like why at that point didn't I say to myself I need to know everything about him because mm-hmm. I felt deeply connected to what was happening on stage, the music, the lyrics. Um, yeah, and I I can't pinpoint that other I can't pinpoint a reason other than at some point I probably just decided like just subconsciously I'm not really like you know I don't need to be into rap to prove my blackness and that kind of Mm -hmm. just took me down this path of like I don't need to you know know about it does that make sense yeah absolutely and then there's this other aspect of it which is my one of my exes was really into Kendrick Lamar and I think there's an aspect of my brain that was like "Mm." and let me just say to if I don't know if there's black people listening to this but don't do not let your ex take away Kendrick Lamar from you that's that's what that's if there's anything that you get from this episode do not let the devil steal your joy okay (laughs) The devil, Lucy, whatever you want to call her, okay? Do not let, let your ex take Kendrick Lamar from you. It doesn't belong to him. <laughs> I was just comparing this to, like, my own life, and I was like, I'm pretty sure that previous relationships aren't the only reason I don't listen to Nickelback, uh, but it might be a factor. <laughs> I wouldn't have gleaned any cool music. So. But yeah, absolutely don't let the yeah. devil steal your joy when it comes to Kendrick Lamar. Uh that is something that should transcend relationships. Um It's it's this is one of those things where do you remember we we are both of an age where we should remember this. Back in the day, before music was all digital, when people would break up with someone and then they would have to either get their CDs back or replace mm. their entire CD collection. Yes. Kendrick Lamar <laughs> is the CD you keep. That's the one that's like, I don't know. I don't have your Kendrick CD. You should go buy a new one. And you just like secretly hoard it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, 
So I, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, remind me of your favorite songs from this album. So one of the best songs of this album for me is How Much a Dollar Cost. And I think that's one that white people should fucking listen to because Mm. it basically explores the difference in economic experience for everyone. And it's Mm. presented in a way that for me makes sense. Like it's one of the first times I heard that concept broken down in a way that for me mathematically made sense where I was like, Mm -hmm. exactly because to this person it's this amount and then this amount and that's how it breaks down. And I think that is probably I, I, from an educational standpoint, I would say that's probably uh, my fame. Everyone loves King Kunta. You can't not, it's the song from the album, but like, yeah. Oh no, go ahead. (laughs) Feel free to ask questions. Well, the thing is, so I love King Kunta, but mm-hmm. the second time I was listening to it, I was like, this is, this is the most, I don't know how to put it. It's the, it's the most fun, sad song I've ever heard. Yes. And something I have it, learned about myself as an adult is that I really enjoy fun, sad songs or beautiful, sad songs. Mm-hmm. Um and and this is one of them where I'm like this is devastating but damn if it isn't catchy and that I think is kind of the brilliance of Kendrick with this album is a lot of these songs are inescapably catchy like mm-hmm. all right catchy you can't mm-hmm. stop singing them to yourself and in that you are forced to continually reckon with the truth that he is putting into his music Mm-hmm. That is brilliance because even as a white person, I cannot deny that those songs are catchy and in listening to them and singing them to myself, I have to continually reckon with what he is saying about mm-hmm. both the black community and also white people's position in continual subjugation. Like mm-hmm. that is important. And I think that's why this album is so brilliant you know, it's it's hard to make such heavy topics catchy, mm-hmm. but he does. I think, yeah. and I know I've brought up Ben Folds on the show before, which is just how white <laughs> I is. Um, but he he has a song called Brick. Um, mm-hmm. it's it's been around since the nineties. It's not new to anybody. And the song is about him and his high school girlfriend getting an abortion the day after Christmas. Devastatingly sad subject matter. And that song is catchy as hell. And like you talk to any plaid shirted 30 something, they know that song. And everyone's like, yeah, that's like the Ben Fold song. And I feel like King Kunta is like that. That's the one everyone knows from the album that has the most plays on iTunes. That's Mm -hmm. the one they, you know, everyone knows it. And yet you're like, but also (laughs) like, this is what it's about. This is why it's so, uh, to, to keep it close to the vest city high, I think is a perfect example, which by (laughs) the way, went back and listened to after. And that song is, terrible as far as subject matter goes because yeah. a it's just a hard story but then they're just like bitch get up on your feet stop making yep. excuses yeah. and i'm like she what she is doing her best right. stop right, it right, right, um, right. <laughs> but that's an again a song that tough subject matter mm-hmm. and i was we were on a break recording our uh, our other podcast cult podcast and i started singing it and andrea knew it like we both knew all the words to the song with very di- and we're singing the like song was at home crying all alone. I'm like this is catchy and rough. <laughs> and then if you go and watch City High on YouTube, the next recommended video is 3LW's No More. So added bonus. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if you remember that one. Uh not tough yeah, subject no, matter. Yeah, I, I I for sure remember that song. I feel like I sang that at a event one time. I don't know. 
<laughs> well, um, I re-listened and was surprised to find in the rap where they were like, and that was last year, boy, in the eighth grade. And I was like, are these children? Oh, shit. <laughs> yes. Turns out, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they did put it in the name. Yeah, yeah, three, yeah. Three little, little women. Three LW. <laughs> but anyway, I, I find yeah. catchy, sad songs to be both wildly effective and beautiful. And mm-hmm. we should do more of that. More songs with substance. Yes. Um, I was listening to it and I was, I think the thing I was most surprised by just not having any idea about what I was about to hear um, was how jazzy it was. I oh, was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just like, oh, this is giving me Robert Glasper vibes. And of course, Robert Glasper is one of the people that is involved <laughs> in the production. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. just like. He played he on felt, it, I think. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. And um, I think a couple songs and uh, but it also gave me like seat at the table vibes. Like I was like, oh, this is this is exactly how I felt at seat at the table. I felt like seat at the table had a little more um, maybe like it, it, it didn't feel like it um, explored as much the the pain, I guess. Like, There's a lot of pain I would on say this album. Ha- yeah, I would say 75% of this album is unresolved. And then as, towards the end, I mean, it's a story. Yeah. Versus Seat of the Table to me. I mean, even though it kind of follows a little bit of a... Like, she's telling different parts of her life and different parts of the Black experience. I didn't feel like there was a lot of unresolved things. Like, it, to me, Seat of the Table sound like... So, like um, oh, this is somebody who's been to therapy <laughs> already. Mm. Like, yeah. Whereas um, <laughs> I feel like to pimp a butterfly sounds like therapy. Like you exactly. haven't been, exactly. you're yes. in the middle of it. This is you yes. reckoning with everything. This is you mm-hmm. taking stock of your life to this point and the things that you know and trying to express them in a way that another person can understand. Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay. So, uh, you said that, um, uh, what song you said it was your favorite? Um, how much a dollar costs. How much a dollar costs. And then, okay. And what else? Um, yeah. King Kunta, obviously. King Kunta, These walls great. are great. Mm-hmm. Um, institutionalized. I love Snoop Dogg. So, like, uh-huh. <laughs> hard to, hard to beat it. But also, I actually enjoy when rap music talks about the true like i guess try to the right the right word the true impact of the prison industrial complex complex and one of my other songs about that is um on oh what is the name of that song it's on run the jewels third album and it's the one that they used for black panther that's gonna drive me nuts Legend, legend has it. I was like, I know legend is in the title somewhere. Legend has it. Mm-hmm. And in the video, they actually go through prison statistics. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I feel like institutionalized is kind of similar in my mind as far as like themes, um, different vibe, obviously, but I actually really, really like it as a song. So mm-hmm. yeah. I Oh, I mean, famous line. Now I, I understand the context of life ain't shit but a fat vagina. Um, yeah. So that, that, <laughs> now I get it. Um, but I I loved, uh, I mean, the song You is just so emotional. And then what he does with his voice theatrically in that song, like making it break in the midst of what's essentially like, part rap part spoken word um mm-hmm. but really telling the very deep dark thoughts that he has i'm like when when do you when do you see men let alone black men being this vulnerable in rap i'm like this is amazing and also like yeah like kind of like what you were saying calling out um because the thing is, is he's constantly straddling these two worlds of like, what do the rap fans expect? And then what do the, what is like 
the rap executives, I guess, or you know the the label. What the what does the label want? Um, and then who who is he as an artist? What is he supposed to do with his influence? And that's one thing that keeps coming up. In that, uh, the I mean, I guess is it a poem? Is it a is it a letter? Like you know that he's he says parts of throughout the entire album. Yeah, and I think I think one of my favorite things about you as a song is you can look at it in the context of a relationship if you want to. But I think it's actually really interesting to look at it in the context of him writing this letter to I mean America seems too generic of a term, but it's almost like writing this letter to the world. Like it's his complicated relationship with life in general. It's not even necessarily one specific person. And I think that is kind of a brilliant way to juxtapose a lot of these feelings so that when he goes into kind of the broader strokes of this song, you're like, oh, this is all of us. This is not just him, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but when he's talking to himself Mm -hmm. when he's saying like you're a failure like he's saying that about himself you know i'm like that third verse is rough yeah it's man i mean it's just what yeah um and then you know obviously you is the is indirect to i it's yeah it's yeah Mm -hmm. um direct opposition to i and i love that song too i I mean just like being in somebody's face and being fine Mm -hmm. that's success is the best revenge girl that's that's him being like yeah fuck you i'm awesome (laughs) like and i love myself yeah despite all of your attempts to make me not love myself i love myself and despite Mm -hmm. all i've been through that would make it hard for me to love myself i love Mm -hmm. myself i yeah love that so much Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah so then i started like you know going back and like looking at um you know like all of the things that have been written all the things that he said about about the music i mean i'm just like it's there's nothing but love in it in my in the way i like because why do you look here's the thing speaking of the word pimp i i really would like to juxtapose the song king kunta with another song by another famous rapper oh um, god (laughs) (laughs) pimp juice (laughs) Yes, your point. <laughs> and I would like to say um, that uh, King Kuta is a superior song. Uh- <laughs> well, yes. Yeah. No, really? Yes, of course it is. <laughs> um, part of why I thought about it is because, you know, and um, Mondo talked about this, like, um, when he was on the podcast about what, you know, he wanted to know what the reference was to yams. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, if you haven't listened to that episode, go back. Mm-hmm. This whole episode is just uh, a plug for other episodes. Uh, <laughs> but, yes. But, yeah. Um, so that, I mean, that was so interesting. And uh, the reason why it made me think of Pimp Juice is because, um, so throughout the whole song, um, Kendrick is using yams as a mat- as a metaphor for all of the all of the the gold the th- the things that glitter that people are after that black mm-hmm. people are after that they can't help but be after mm-hmm. when they get fame yeah or when you know any when they're any kind of artist you know at or just just wanting period right yeah it's, it's all of those things and and throughout the whole song because it means something and because he has a point he never reneges on its meaning now nelly on the other hand <laughs> tells us at the beginning of the song what pimp juice is now my personal <laughs> my personal <laughs> opinion is that pimp juice is jizz okay but <laughs> he he says 
he says that she only wants him for his pimp juice. Okay. Now, look, I that I guess could be a lot of things, but I think the way he uses it, it's clear that it's one thing, right? Girl, Jizz is free. And, <laughs> yes. And then at the end of the song, he completely backtracks and then tells us pimp juice is anything. And I'm like, no, no, Nelly. No. I'm gonna play <laughs> I'm gonna play devil's advocate. I'm I'm what? gonna play devil's advocate and I'm gonna argue for Nelly and say that that is an appropriate definition and that King Kunta supports that definition because part of it is this idea that black people are not supposed to invest in gold diamonds things once they get famous and that it's a waste of money and that they're not smart or fiscally responsible but in the reality it's just another way to shame black people for success because it could be anything you know it happens to be a chain but it could have been something else i mean how many times have white assholes gotten rich and bought a ferrari that they can't even drive legally on regular streets same shit nobody is nobody is going out of their way to shame them for doing it and so i think in nelly's pimp juice when he's arguing that pimp juice can be anything it's this idea that it doesn't matter what a black person does with their success, white people are going to shame them for that because they are mad at the success in general, regardless of what that success brings. So you're saying pimp juice is about shame? Yeah. <laughs> you didn't I, even say it with a straight face. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to say that maybe Nelly's not the best lyricist, but... <laughs> I think you could make that argument. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I will say there is there is something about like, um, oh, again, another plug for another episode. Like Aisha was saying, like, there is something about black culture that, you know, peop- she's like, I she said she was saying, I understand why people want to be a part of it they want um to to use it they want to feel like you know um they understand it and get it and um and so i i would be fine with that being a definition of pimp juice okay Um, just the the ideal of of black coolness yeah black cool yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i would yeah i I would i would be fine with it being that um nelly if you're listening um (laughs) if if we if we ever get nelly on this show i have so many questions (laughs) um yes so um but yeah I, i i definitely you know I, I was remembering when uh, Keenan was saying he was at a Kendrick concert mm-hmm. and they're saying every word, including the N word, you know, Rough. and yeah, I mean, I just go, oh, I just can't imagine, but it's like, it's there. I, I can't, I can't be upset for him being successful and off of like, I mean, what do you, what are you supposed to do? You know what I mean? Like, I mean, not say what, it as an artist. No, no, <laughs> oh, no. As an artist. That, okay. The, yeah. I was going to say it's like, yeah, right? I like, mean, as, it, as an artist, it's your truth. You got to say what you got to mm-hmm. say. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that white people, for some reason, think that that entitles them to say it too. And that's not yeah. the case, but I would never want to stifle him as an artist because he's brilliant. He is brilliant. These lyrics yeah. are poetry. And they are truth. And in that truth, they are difficult to listen to. And there are harsh words and there are harsh themes. But that is where his brilliance is. It's that truth. It's the thing that made you feel something. You know, it's that connection that you're able to have because he's speaking so frankly and so honestly. And I would never want to remove his ability to do that. And really, like, we shouldn't have to. White people know better. Ain't nobody walking around like, what do you mean I can't say it? 
don't be stupid. We shouldn't have been able to say it forever. Like, I don't know why anyone still has a question about it. They're yeah. the ones that should be making a change, not Kendrick. Yeah, I mean, and here's the other thing, um, because um, and I've been having this conversation with my coworkers, who is, he's he's Mexican, mm-hmm. but he grew up predominantly around black people. And mm-hmm. so he says it. And ah. he's like, and he, you know, but he's, he grew up in the hood. Like he's, he still lives in the hood. Mm-hmm. All his friends say it, you know, and he, but he'll, of course, you know, through work and through other circumstances, inevitably meet another black person and then have to contend with, oh, they don't do, are they okay with me saying it? And so I yeah. had to kind of explain to him. They don't know, you know your I background. Was like, they don't know your ba- background, A. And he's like, I just don't understand, like, why, you know, like, th- I mean, this is, this is literally how I grew up. Why does it bother people? You know what? You know, and I said to him, I was like, look, you, you, if you were black, you would never have the ability to hurt me with that word. Right. And I, and I think that was the simplest way to explain it is that yeah. you, even if you were angry at me, if you said that word to me and you were black, you would never be able to hurt me. Like, because there's something about we're us being both black that allows me to receive that word. It's couched within probably some other insults that you said, but like right. we're both we we both are that word. We both could be that word, right? Right. To somebody else. When you are not black and you use that word, if I especially if I don't know you, or even if you I do know you, but you use that word when you're angry. Mm-hmm. It's very different. Yeah. I mean, think about... And, it, and I said, you will never be able to um, divest yourself of the ability to hurt me with that word. Absolutely. That is just not, you don't have that ability. Yeah. I, I think of it kind of like, uh, excuse my language, bitch or cunt, where it's very different woman to woman. I Over brunch, I could be like, bitch dump him and nobody would it's we wouldn't even interpret it that way but if a man that i don't know mm-hmm. was just like bitch move oh mm-hmm. oh mm-hmm. it hurts and i'm gonna hit somebody like mm-hmm. it is that just innate context mm-hmm. and it goes even further because like you you could meet any black person and saying that word is not a threat to you. You know, there are still women who, depending on the intonation, if they said bitch, could still be a threat. Mm-hmm. But it is this innate understanding that it was a word that was specifically used to hurt people. Mm-hmm. And you are the group it was used to hurt. And you're not hurting each other with it. And anyone else who comes into that situation, you don't know their intentions. And to be honest, if they had good intentions, they would probably choose another word. Like, the history of that word is so known, you know? And it's not yeah. independent of the use, ever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, th- that w- that was a conversation with me and my coworker. And then another one that reminded me, that I was reminded of when I was listening to this album, um, is... Um, when I was listening to the song Complexion, which I love. That's a great um, song. Yeah, it's a great song. And um, for those of you who haven't listened to the album, it's... It's, it's a deep it's cut re- within the album. Yeah. Like, it's not one of the ones that's well known, but it's really good. Right. It's really good. And it that's something that um I realize that not everybody understands is that there is an issue of colorism within the Black community. And mm-hmm. it has existed for for um for years for hundreds of years and but let me just say this all of that whenever you see black people saying like you know this they don't date people that are this color or they don't like you know men that are whatever like all of that stems from white supremacy absolutely Let, let's just be 100 percent clear all of it stems from white supremacy this is not this is not something that like black people made up you know like this stems from the way that our country is built on certain types and certain 
races and colors of people that have certain levels of mobility. And there is a thing that not apparently not everybody knew it because I ended up having to explain this to one of my coworkers that there is this thing going back to the like times of slavery called passing, yeah. where if you were light enough as a black person and you could pass for white, you could live in certain places, you could get certain jobs, and so obviously that created a lot of resentment, and that resentment has carryover to now so that that stuff is still happening now and people are still enacting that hate and i why i love this song is that this truly is it it really is an enlightened person seeing the full picture and mm-hmm. i really love the image of you know because he he references the, to pimp a butterfly is is talking about a caterpillar who is only can only see its own environment mm-hmm. and then being trapped in the cocoon being pimped out until they are free and can live above all of the prisons created by society and yeah capitalism. absolutely mm-hmm. and so i love this song because that is that is a thing that you don't always see in in the hood is people who f- fully have embraced and not even just in the hood. It happens even in entertainment circles too. Like I'll see like, you know, black people that have like made some money and they're creating a movie. And then you'll see a casting that's like, we want a real bad bitch. We're talking light skin, long hair. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, wait, bad bitch to who? You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. it's The sunscreen industry? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that song really meant a lot to me, um, and I I want I want and hope for way more of that because I just I can't stand that that's still a thing, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's upsetting. Just I I am glad. Just in the last few years, I think society has made some strides here mm-hmm. in in this regard with the acceptance of Lupita Nyong'o who is noticeably dark and wonderful beautiful famous getting tons of roles that makes me so happy because that is such a departure like I mean hundreds of years and white people truly did draw the line of like here are the people who are allowed to associate with us and that essentially demonizes anyone of a particular skin color that they had no control over even within the black community um i think that was really important in daniel kalua's casting in in Uh get out and i was super happy to see it and i am happy to see that kind of thing continue you know i'm glad to see people like daniel and lupita keep getting roles and i want to see more people like that i think it's important yeah Oh, here's something I yeah. forgot to bring up and get out. And it, like it was oh, one of those things that? that I found after. They had to light the movie differently than they light most movies because of Daniel's skin color. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. most color charts are designed for a specific level of blackness, as it were. And when you get to Daniel's skin color, you have to specifically light him so that he doesn't just disappear into the scenes. So they actually had to do a ton of lighting tests to make sure that wouldn't happen. Yes. And you know why they had to do a ton of lighting tests is because, um, a, they're, they're not used to giving a fuck. Um, yeah, that's exactly. It. <laughs> they're not. That's they. They have they have been able to get along for hundreds of years without giving a fuck. And within the film industry specifically, they didn't make those color correcting cards because there was an assumption that people that black would never be in film. That's how deep the racism goes. Is that the the industry and the technology we had assumed that black people of that color would not be able to participate. Mm-hmm. Like digest that, you know, as a person who watches movies. And if you're wondering why we haven't seen people of that level of complexion, it's because the industry didn't want it, wasn't prepared for it, had made no strides towards having it. So 
it needs to change from the ground up is all I'm saying. Burn it down. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I mean, and I think that's a, um, so the black or the berry, I mean, the that, sweet or that, the juice. I want to say, I feel, I felt like this was the blackest song on there. <laughs> um, man. And I just love, this is, this is something that I also, I can't really describe, but, um, uh, except for how I felt when I was watching Get Out is going in between feeling this feeling like maybe laughing or feeling okay and safe to immediately feeling anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to say that that's something that feels very, I don't know if it's unique to the black experience, but I know a lot of black people feel that way. Like, just being able to, with an image, um, with a song, with um, a memory, like extreme intense anger. And that anger scares people. And knowing that that anger scares people and being used to, I mean, <laughs> um, uh, Solange has a song on it on Seat of the Table called Mad. Yeah. And, but again, it sounds like somebody who's been to therapy. So she's all like... <laughs> Well, calm about it. (laughs) Her sister got some angry songs, and that's my favorite Beyonce is angry Beyonce. Like, oh, of course, love. You're a ring the ring the alarm, Beyonce. Yes, I'm. I'm a. uh, I've been off Beyonce. I'm a bow down bitches Beyonce. Yes, I am here for it. Um, and I, I think. It scares white people because they're afraid that it's directed at them. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. white people are like, "Oh, we had this coming." Uh, oh, that yeah, yeah okay. Um, and I think that's you know, it's righteous anger if you want to think of it that way, and that scares people. It's yeah. you know, not right, <laughs> but it does. Yeah. I I loved there was um a tweet going around from Wyatt Snack. Um mm-hmm. did you see it? Yeah. So Maybe. Wyatt Snack is a um he's a comedian and writer and it's been on a ton of stuff. He's very funny. Love check him out if you don't know him. He but was a Wyatt daily Snack, show contributor for a long yeah, time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um but he wrote this uh, this tweet. It kind of reads a little bit like a haiku. I mean, you know, it's not really. But he talks about how for years black people black people have been telling the I have world, seen this tweet. yes, mm-hmm. um, about what's been going on. They put it in songs. They put it in they put it in shows. You know, and you laughed and you danced and, and you, you clapped, clapped, but you never listened. Never listened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I think so, is probably one of the most powerful tweets I've seen in the last few days where it really is this idea of like, they've been telling you forever. This album came out in 2015. Yeah. That's, that's four years just from this album. And that's one piece of art that blatantly says it. So. Exactly. And, and the thing is, is like, you know, we're both stand up comedians and I've been thinking about like, you know, what is it going to be like going back on stage? And I'm just like, I was thinking, I'm like, I'm not going to have to change much. <laughs> I have been saying this shit since job. <laughs> I remember true. one time you did an impression of me and you were like, I- I'm Crystal, race, 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 blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I-, I believe it was actually. But I asked you, oh, what did you say? <laughs> I-, I believe it was actually race, race, race. I can't find a date. Race, race, race. Yeah, yeah. Single race. <laughs> Because it was it was back before you met your current boyfriend, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I'm just like, yeah, I don't think I'll. I don't think I'm the same. <laughs> like I'm, I'm literally. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this is the time when we go back. This is the time to say the shit that you thought white people weren't ready for. Because fuck it, <laughs> like yeah, fuck I it, say it, all of it. <laughs> time is now i mean it it is a time now and the the, the the part of the problem is is like especially with comedy is at the end of the day you want the laugh and yeah. some people are willing 
I think this goes back. I mean, it's it's just so it's so um, apropos of this album because I do feel that tension of being an artist and wanting to be myself and say what I mean, but also understanding that the goal is a certain thing. Like for Kendrick, the goal is to communicate a message and the goal is to make something that is he, that he believes is music. Right. Right. Cause at the end of the day, if it's not music, that's not his goal. Like he's a musician. Right. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a writer. You know what I mean? And so for me as a comedian, it doesn't matter to me that it is a structurally sound joke. If it doesn't get the laugh, and that, right. that I've missed the goal, right? Well, and I feel like that laugh is transformative. That laugh, just like this music, is a vehicle for getting those stronger and hard to talk about things across in a way that people will listen, even if they wouldn't listen if you said it in a direct way. You know, I I have talked about this a lot of times where people argue that comedians shouldn't be political. And I'm like, I feel like comedians have a duty to be political because it's a format in which we can talk to you with your guard down and make you reconsider things that you may have felt super strongly about. And now that you've heard it in kind of a different way and you're like, yeah, that's right. That was kind of funny. That can start to wear down those walls. And I think we have a duty to do that. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. And, and this is the other thing too, is, uh, I was really wary about, you know, yeah, I was, I've always been wary about management Mm -hmm. and that level of the comedy industry specifically for a lot of the reasons that he's talking about. Like, I don't, I, I feel, I think it's the mixture of, one not wanting to be turned into something that I'm not but also mm-hmm. two like I've seen I've seen people talk about it recently like I don't know how much I want I to have white people be making money off of me like I, I don't know how else to say it That's but fair. like because <laughs> they're not hiring at all levels right like right, right now what we're seeing is like a lot of calls to you know quote-unquote fill writing spots in the industry but it's like or fill spots wherever but there are some people who are pushing back and saying, okay, but who else is in the organization that I'm going to be writing for or working for? Who's on the board? Who's the CEO? Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if you just let one of us in at a time, you, you're going to, it's, this is, we go by, right back to the tokenism. We go right yeah. back to, you know. It can't what, just be Shonda Rhimes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> We also need a bunch of other people. Like, we need multiple Shonda Rhimes. And I will say to um, to David Lindelof's credit, David Lindelof is the, was a, I think the showrunner, head writer of Watchmen. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if you haven't seen it, it's incredible. You need to see yeah. it. Um, also, people be wearing masks and that, too. Um, Girl, like it this. is like scarily so accurate because that it was out <laughs> a few months back and like at the beginning of quarantine my husband was like i gotta finish watchmen and i watched like a couple uh-huh. clips and now i'm watching the news just like oh no they warned yeah. us they tried to warn yeah. us they tried to warn us but li- david lindelof um you know i i've heard i heard some of the writers talking about what it was like to write in that writing room and one of the things that is to his credit in my opinion and i will shout this out you know even though i i don't like to like i don't know well you know what i mean but Mm -hmm. um i i'm shouting this out because i feel like it's such a good example of the way that you incorporate diversity which is that that he had a team of people who were diverse and who also felt comfortable to call him out Mm -hmm. so when he made a suggestion he said, I, I need to have the kind of environment where, where they feel just as comfortable telling me that this is either it's too on the nose or it's rubbing me the wrong way. Um, I think we need to change it to this. 
Mm-hmm. Like when you have the comfortability as a minority in a room to challenge your white head, head writer, that's the kind of thing where we get pieces of art that are reflective of society that don't just tell the um, heavy handed story that that the people in charge want you to hear. Yeah, absolutely. So kudos to Watchmen for literally predicting the future. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> and and this comes from somebody I read. I I read the graphic novel back in the day. I actually enjoyed the first movie version. I know not everyone did. I did. <laughs> Whatever. And and I read the prequels. And this is basically an extrapolation on some of that. And mm-hmm. to hear where they went with it, and then to see pieces of it, I was just like. Oh, that is where that would go like that is that is what would happen and the only difference is that we don't have a giant naked penis blue penis walking around the white house uh i'm pretty sure it's orange (laughs) or a squid falling Uh. from the sky yeah (laughs) giant squid (laughs) yeah um so overall i'm gonna give I don't even know if I can give this hair picks. I mean, they already gave like, me a Pulitzer. <laughs> I know, sure, they sure did. <laughs> Kendrick doesn't need my flowers. Um, he's got enough. <laughs> Kendrick needs our support. Start playing Kendrick for your white friends that haven't heard Kendrick yet. Or rather, play the uncomfortable Kendrick songs for your white mm-hmm. friends. Because uh, white people have a tendency to be like, I love Kendrick Lamar. I love Be Humble. Mm-hmm. And then like not listen to any of the rest yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And definitely if you're black, please listen to this album. Even if you're not, even if you don't consider yourself a hip hop fan or a rap fan, like this is, I feel like this is, this is required black homework. Uh, yeah. It's, it's so good because, and I would say too, like, I mean, give it several listens listen and you know read up on it because beyond just the lyrics um the lyrics there's several referential things in the lyrics but there's also a lot of references in the music itself like in terms of the things they sample you know things from um george clinton and uh you know it's it's black when funkadelic is there yes it's it's (laughs) so so black and so purposeful like mm-hmm. so on everything is so on purpose and I love it. So don't let your ex keep you from Kendrick Lamar. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I almost want to list out. I'm like, what is black homework roots? Obviously <laughs> this color purple, color purple, obviously <laughs> book or movie. I would say either, either or, yeah. or both. Although I would say movie is probably accessible culture wise. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, that season of Star Trek with the first interracial kiss. <laughs> <I'm kidding. But laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I feel yeah. like there's a lot of things that we could add to a list of like black homework that. Oh yeah, you know, I almost want to like send us send us what you think should be black homework. Absolutely, for, for yeah, white actually, people. <laughs> like, right. Um. You can write us at blackcardrehab at gmail.com and, uh, and tell us what you, you consider black homework and what we should, you know, put on our list. Um, and look, if I haven't done it, I will start doing it. Um, I'll, I'm going to catch up. <laughs> I'm behind. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and if you're white and you want to educate yourself, feel free to also do the things on that list. Couldn't hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> at, at worst you get to experience the color purple which is a classic and a masterpiece so you know yes and then you'll understand what people are doing when they're pointing two fingers at you and looking at you crazy mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> and why um, oprah is queen right oh oprah gets a shout out in this as well it's, yeah uh, yeah independent butterfly i love that mm-hmm. um all right. Well, everybody, listen to the album and um, share the podcast with a friend. Um, thank you to everybody who's been sharing it so far. It has meant a lot. Um, 